signs of the time are on cardboard on corners in town like a cancer that's silently spreading there's an unspoken fear we're on our way down we must eat America back Welcome to the show, broadcasting from my home studio in downtown Belfont, Pennsylvania, worldwide as National Intel Report, live on Republic Broadcasting Network, Liberty Lighthouse on Mojo 50 Radio, Patriot Nation Radio Network. Welcome to two hours of common sense and constitutional discussion. I am your host of the evening, Peter Serafine. Tonight, we've got two guests going to join us at the bottom of this first hour. That's Brent Hamachek. And Tamara Lee, they're both coming on. They do, uh, I can't remember the name of their show now. I forgot to write it down. Uh, they they do a, 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 a podcast together, Trend on Politics. And then Brent Hamachek is the guy behind humanevents.com and brenthamachek.com and commongroundcampus.com. He's an entrepreneur. So Tamara Lee and Brent Hamachek both going to join us in about 25 minutes. First, we've got a little housekeeping to do. I am going to be out of town next week, so I'm not going to be your host next week, uh, the week of Veterans Day, the Thursday. I'm going to be on a plane when the show is airing, flying to Minnesota for my eldest son's wedding. First of my kids to get married, and uh, well, because he lives in Minnesota and I live in Pennsylvania, I haven't seen him in a while, I'm pretty excited about that. And then, of course, there won't be a show on Thanksgiving Day either. That's Thursday. And you know the whole network is dark, so I won't be here. So you've only got, what, this show and two more shows this month of, of mine. So excited to take some time off. And speaking of taking some time off, I'm really trying to figure out what to do in the future as to what with with all of my work i'm overwhelmed i have taken on too many projects i i put out my third book and immediately started writing a fourth book and then i had an idea for a fifth book and a textbook and a a, a constitution course and i write an article every week for for uh, american free news network and my own website on the blog and and i'm doing too many things and i i fear that I'm not doing any of them well because I'm doing too many things at once. And I'm trying to prioritize what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing. And I'm really not sure where to go because to quite honest, apparently I'm not that great of a radio host because I've never taken off. I, I'm, I must be missing that je ne sais quoi, that, that little special something, that it factor. Because I've been doing this show for four years, and I swear the same handful of people have been listening to me that whole time, and I'm just not, not, not growing much. So maybe it's the show that needs to give up. But then again, I write these books, and well, I don't sell maybe a hundred copies each so far. You know, maybe the next one will be the big one. Who knows? So maybe. Writing books is the thing I should give up. Maybe it's the... I don't know. 
I'm doing too much. I got to give up something, and I don't know what that is. If you got a brilliant suggestion for time management, how I can continue to do all of these things and still keep my beautiful wife happy, that's important. Then, uh, well, this is a live call-in show, so feel free to call in 512-248-8252. If you got a comment and you don't want to be on air, you can text me. You can text me at 64MYRIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. So I said I write an article every week, and it posts on Friday. And the last couple, just to give you an idea, maybe you might want to go to liberty-lighthouse.com and read these articles. See, two weeks ago, I, I did an article entitled Betrayed Bodies, where I talked about some of the human experiments that our government has sponsored on unsuspecting citizens, we the people. And then kind of wrapped it up by saying, is there any wonder that anybody ever questioned whether or not we should run out and take an experimental vaccine when the COVID vaccine got whooped up in like, you know, 32 minutes or however long it took them. And then just last week, last, it was, um, are we still a constitutional republic? And just kind of kicked around the idea that, so we have this constitution. Our government doesn't seem to follow this constitution anymore. So if we're not following our constitution, are we still a constitutional republic? And then tomorrow, the one that comes out is it's about Grover Cleveland, who I believe was the last constitutionally minded president that we ever had the, the last constitutional originalist if if you will i think grover cleveland is quite possibly the most underrated president in american history i use one example of his quite often talking about government overreach and the expansion of government and that's the the example of the texas seed act and for those of you that are heard me tell this brief story before bear with me if you're not familiar with the texas seed act so texas had been through years of drought and the farmers well they ran out of seeds because they kept planting and then the crops kept dying because of the droughts and then eventually they're out of seeds so congress had passed the texas seed act allocating money to get the farmers seeds and Grover Cleveland, well, he vetoed that bill. And he vetoed it on the idea that, hey, that's not the job of the federal government. Now, a lot of people might say that that's a heartless thing for a president to do, but I happen to agree. It wasn't one of the things listed in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. Therefore, it's not one of the things that the federal government should be doing. And in true American fashion, the, the result was the state of Texas took out ads. They took out ads in newspapers across the country saying, we need your help. Send us some seeds. And it was so successful that what ended up happening is the state of Texas had to take out more ads in newspapers all across the country saying, hey, stop, we've got enough seeds. 
See, we, the people, take care of each other. At least that's how it's supposed to work. We don't need Big Brother standing over our shoulder taking care of us. Federal government was never supposed to be involved in charity, benevolence. It's not part of their, their role. Social welfare, individual welfare, is not part of what the federal government is supposed to do according to our Constitution. And checking on the screen here over in the YouTube chat room, if you're watching in video form anywhere, you can make comments and I see them. I got a good evening from Mr. Curtis. Good evening, sir. And on the phone line, we have Reb in Colorado. On line one, welcome to the show, Reb. Yeah, this is the old U.S. Pentagon, first team vote scale, Reb, heard by tens of millions on none other than coast to coast with that lesser individual, uh, George Nori. He's going to burn in hell. But I got out information. And you said you want a suggestion. I'll do your two hours next Thursday like no one's ever heard. And it'll give you a chance to, like, reorganize or something. I, it sounds like you don't have an overall plan. We do, the three of us. Bo is just in the, like, waiting room. That's all. She's just hanging in there. But I told the National Command Center, I can put them on the line with you now. They don't like it. But I said, hey, look, what's on Bo's computer system is better than anything you got, National Emergency. Like I said, we got on that uh, coast to coast, and we were able to tell people, yeah, we're the official business of the United States of America, Bo Scout. Before he cut it off, he got in the last word. We're the monster created by the United States Defense Intelligence Agency. That's exactly who we are. Intelligence. Why are people failing? Because they don't have any intelligence. That's yeah. the real reason. There's no yeah, military intelligence definitely uh, counterintuitive. And uh, Curtis over in that YouTube chat room, he said, Government has grown larger because people have grown lazy. And I completely agree with Curtis. Wait, wait. There's nothing wrong with government. Where's the government? What's wrong is what they placed around America to get you all screwed. The regional system. And we, we studied it and how to knock it out. That's gone. UN goes. All these world agencies go, it's centered in your backyard in 10 federal regions. We know what happened. That's why they hit us right across the street from federal region 8. We were attacked at the CBI headquarters in the state of Colorado, which is on the it's adjacent to the northeast corner of federal region 8, which also on the other side of that fence, it's at Kipling and 6th Avenue in Lakewood, Colorado, where we are. And it's got an Army Reserve. One company goes, takes it over. I tell that to Secretary Arsec, Secretary of the Army Office. I'm the one who comes ahead of things with the information that says, how'd you get that? We're ahead of you. We went to a <laughs> national security briefing. This, uh, Mr. Santiago. All right, let's, let's back up a minute. Let's back up to where you said, I don't have a plan. Well, you're, you're sort of right. I have a goal but I don't have a plan as to how to get there. My goal, I, I want to be known. The relief, 
you have to use relief. That's who we are. It'll it'll change your whole thinking when you hear, hey, somebody's active. We got, like I said, we got on coast to coast. He cut off, but it got out. I, I switched the radio on. It had a long enough delay, so we had about a couple of minutes before the idiot cut us off. And I told the intake person, literally called, this is real. It was a doctor talking about your subconscious takes the lead in everything you do. He was an MD, and he's right. You know, if you see something and your subconscious ain't going to, it overrules whatever you else you want to do. And he was giving that discussion, which is exactly what's happening with us. That's why we don't just react. We're ahead of things. So you got to be able to anticipate. And that's what we did in the first decade of this century. It's all out. What you're seeing now is the decades they put together this war on, especially those white boys. The other two are double-edged chromosome female. But that's what was coming in the 90s. I said, we better do something. So we were ready before they hit us. And we, we knew what to do. Nobody would even know. Contact the defense intelligence agency. They're they're a crude bunch. You don't want to deal with them unless you got something. Oh, you got something big. And All right. in this case, they took it to Jags and the Back up. You started, you started your conversation, you started your comment with the, uh, the, the I don't have a plan stuff and, and uh, volunteering to host next show, my, yeah, next, yeah, week, yeah. next week's yeah, show for two it. hours. So, so um, let's, let's hear from other listeners. Who would like to have Reb host a show for two hours next Thursday? You and you get on in. the air no matter what. We don't care how many get on the air. I'll hang back. And they can ask questions. Most people don't ask me real questions because we're ahead of them. We got things out before they can ask. But All you right, can well, ask. Well, then help me. My my ultimate goal is, is uh, well, I, I, I want to be known as as a, a constitutional expert. I, I want to be known as one of the people that you can call on to, to, to talk in, you know, to give well, speeches give to courses and all that Congress. kind of stuff. What's that? You're going to have to run for Congress. That's the only I, way. They just put in a new Speaker of the House. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to re- teach we the people about the Constitution again, since, well, since nobody else... you can't do it from your position. If you make enough noise in Congress, damn right they're going to hear about it. Look at the scatterbrains they hear from every day on the enemy broadcast. And if you're yeah. the big mouth, they're going to hear from you, whether they want it or not. I mean, these are idiots, the ones they hear from. They don't have a... Our plan is to keep working hard and take... People seriously. What the hell does that even mean? Everything's <laughs> going down the going down the sewer, you jerk. What are you talking yeah. about? It's the whole institutions are wrong because they're not running anything except their worthless mouths and two bit opinions. And the real action is right in your backyard, you jerks. It's staring in your face. It's the nine one one system. It I've been saying this for like since I got on the radio with Mike Levy on in 2017, when I first got on, I said, you know, you're not looking at forward. That's your enemy, jerk. It's staring you in your face. Don't go blaming the goofballs in Hollywood East Coast, that DC freak show. 
they don't even know what's going on down here. They're on the on the freaking front lines of this. Even the generals. You wrote a book, Mr. McInerney, Mr. Valley. These are top generals from the Secretary of Defense Office. And they wrote a book, How to Beat the Drug Cartel. No, you bring in the gang and go get them. We know where they are. It's like they're not just crossing the border with backpacks. These jerks have a business office open and selling it on the Navajo Redskin Reservation in the Four Corners. How do we know about this? Because we do the recon. We're, we're better than pathfinders. We already figured out where everything's going before they start. You can see our um, Twitter account. It's called Solar Radiation Management on Bubba Scout Rabbit Rev Bubba. That plane, I was in that aircraft, by the way, not on the ground at NASA. It's a NASA aircraft that monitors the uh, tests of these H-bombs when they were testing them big time in the 50s until I goofed Kennedy. I guess in 62 they signed a test ban treaty for atmospheric testing. But this was in the magnetosphere. You could see that plane shadowed it, and they just, thanks a lot, jerks, for ruining the ozone layer, you dumbasses. This is what they do. And so that, that plane is a high-altitude aircraft, the WB-57. So in, from 57 to 62, that's what it was doing. I was in the aircraft. I actually saw the instruments and everything. It's a, you know, it's a little uh, four-seater, and it's got weather instruments. It monitors all this activity, and you'll see the mushroom cloud in the background. It's shadowing it, and they have uh, they tinted windows and everything, and they wear dark glass. And they have to test how, how it affects the atmosphere. Not good, bad, real bad, and you weren't supposed to do that. But that's, that's so they can modify planet's climate. That's the climate change they're talking about. And it's been going on. And we knew about this for decades. And other people, you'll read it. It's on Bubba Scout Rabbit, Rev Bubba. There's several comments about that. Because we were ahead of this stuff in 19... Well, I was busy somewhere else in 1970. I had a place to go to. It sucked. When I got back, I saw the Earth Day in 1971. And that was the first one I got to attend. And it was, they were a little bit behind, but they were, you know, they were kooks and goofballs, but they had the right idea. And people are knowing now, we're running out of time. And that, that's the thing. We tell them, ground those damn spray tankers. They're out of, like, that air base and uh, off at Chinoot and, and Omaha and, and out in uh, Wyoming. And they have these air bases of, where they have these tanker planes. They, even they told me there's a KC-12, not just 135. I said, crown them stupid things. You could see the tic-tac-toe boards in the sky most of the time. And this is contributing to all the poisoning you're getting, and they're going to dump this it's called forever particles that you don't want. They're doing that. And why are they doing that? Who's going to benefit? Uh, not you. And why are they thinking? You see, the people you don't know about, they're getting the tap go underground. That's what's happening now. Their flunkies are right. fighting it out in Congress. They're headed underground. And you don't know about things we know from Fort Canaveral. We're connected to Cape Canaveral now. Fort Canaveral is an unloading point for a gulf tainer. 
You never heard of this. <laughs> well, I graduated high school from uh, huh? Satellite Beach. I graduated high school from Satellite Beach High School. Well, so you were there. Did you see right Fort down Canaveral? the road from Fort Canaveral and Cape Canaveral? And I'm one of the few people in the world. This is this is exciting to me. Anyway, as a high schooler, I was in Air Force ROTC, and I got to ride a, a helicopter and actually fly over the the uh the space shuttle as it was sitting on the launch pad and that was that was pretty awesome as get up close to the the one the challenger when i was talking with crippen and young this was back in 81 right when they made the first landings on the dry lake and they flew into texas and they i I got asking them about uh, dead stick landings and stuff i'm a helicopter pilot but those people, they did the first dead stick landing, and behind them was the shuttle sitting on the back of the 747 for us VIPs. It was right on top. That was the Challenger. It didn't make it. I think the Discovery later didn't make it either. So they still have Atlantis, Enterprise, and Columbia still in the mothballs somewhere. But I've seen them up close and personal, so... I mean, I know that, like I said, I was in that NASA plane, too, at WV-57. I didn't on the ground. I didn't go for a ride in it, but I'm just... All right, Rip. I got to catch off, man. We're running out of time here. You're going to let me gonna be on next week, and we'll explain. Oh, I, well, Everyone well, can call in. It's not... Well, Mike, the producer, says he's not totally against the idea, so why don't you stay on the line and talk to Mike about it? And uh, Curtis over in the YouTube chat room says that you need to call the Daily Mojo. And they're a, a Monday through Friday show over on the Mojo Five O radio network. And I think they would enjoy it. But I got to let you go. Um, got James in North Carolina on the phone behind you, and we're coming up to a break. All right. Um, I just, me and you are about the same age. Well, we are the same age. We're both 50. Yep. And you've been trying to, uh, you know, you've been teaching the Constitution and all this stuff. Well, you sound like me at my job. I run around preaching beans and bullets and know your rights. And you know what? Eventually, a lot of people just, they t- auto-tune you out. Right. So sometimes you have to pull back and take care of you and just, you know what I'm saying? That's what you're suffering from, burnout. You know? Well, it's- my problem is I, I I started doing politics without a plan. I didn't even realize that I was a constitutional originalist. I just knew something was wrong. And then yeah. recently realized that I'm a constitutional originalist. Recently really dove in and studied the Constitution. And, I, and you know, I'm developing courses. Like, I want to teach it. I want to be, you know, invited to... to to uh, political galleries and you know whatever uh, or uh, meetings. Wow, why couldn't I think of that word? Yeah. You know, to, to meetings to do to to do speeches or courses. I want to you know go to the Elks Club and the Moose Club and all those kinds of places and and teach them what I know. And this is all relatively well, new. I, I I never had this thought until I don't know a month or so ago. And and I want to get there, but I don't know how to get there. How do you build the name recognition enough to get those invites? Well, you've got a lot on your plate. You write books. You do a regular uh, regular show. You do this. Well, think about it. In order to do that, you're going to have to get out there and put your name out there. 
you just can't do it, you know, through the radio because a lot of the people that listen to this, you've been on here. Uh, uh, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, you know, you've been been doing this show about a year, and you think about it, you've been writing books, and you have another, uh, you know, you do a blog, and uh, all that other stuff that you do. Yeah, and yeah, you, that's what I'm saying. And you have a, per- I think something's got to give. You have a personal yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so, James, we're coming up to break. Gotta let you go. Thank you very much for your call. All right. On the other side of the break, we got Tamara Lee and Brent Hamachak both supposed to be joining us. Three-minute commercial break. Be back. I'm Peter Seraphine, and So Simple Even a Politician Can Understand is my latest book. It is a book of simple ideas that would go a long way towards fixing some pretty big problems in our government. It is an easy-to-read short book that uses common sense, something seriously lacking in our government. Order your copy for less than $10 wherever books are sold or at liberty-lighthouse.com slash books. Hey, welcome back. I'm Peter Seraphine. Please remember that free speech is not free. And free speech networks like this one, wherever wherever you're watching or listening from, well, we need your help. Use our promo codes and uh, share our content out, and and you know buy our merchandise and donate if you if you are one of the those fortunate enough to do it. Um, yeah, I said we got Brett Hamachak and Tamara Lee are both supposed to be joining us here in this segment. And, uh, well, here's Brent. Where do you go when you want the truth about current human events? You go to Brent Hamachek over at humanevents.com, brenthamachek.com, and over on Common Ground Campus. And now, welcome in the studio, Brent Hamachek. Evening, sir. Good evening. I'm happy to be here. And and this is going to be bad, but Tamara Lee has also joined us, but I don't have a fun and exciting intro to play for Tamara. Ah, uh, well, I could, I could sing a ditty or two, but um, we'll just let her, her beauty speak for itself. How's that? Well, welcome to the show, both of you, Tamara and Brent. Trend on politics is, uh, is their show that they do together. And where can we find that? Oh, can't oh. hear you, Tamara. I think you might have yourself muted. Is it your news? Is that what it is? Yournews.com, yes. Yournews.com. There it is. Well, just a reminder for all of those people out there, this is a live call-in show. So call in at 512-248-8252 with your questions, comments, concerns, compliments, criticisms, whatever the case may be. And if you don't love callers. We love callers. And if you if you if you've got a comment but you don't want to be on air. Because some people just don't. You can text those to me at 64 by rights. That's 646-974-4487. So, what do you want to talk about tonight? I have a couple of ideas, but I want to see what you have in in your heads right now. 
both. Well, so there's absolutely nothing going on in the world. I don't know. I don't know how we'll find time to talk, how we'll find anything to talk about. I thought you were going to say there was absolutely nothing going on in your head right now. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's that's general. That's generally the case, right? But, uh, uh, yeah, take us uh, take us wherever you want to go, and we'll be we'll be nimble with you. I will share with your audience since we always talk about Common Ground Campus that we have an event coming up on November fourteenth at Hope College in Holland, Michigan, and. Uh, just prior to this broadcast, I was meeting with the four students who will be participating in the event. They are bright. They are open-minded and willing to engage. We're going to take on diversity, equity, and inclusion because we wanted to pick something that wasn't controversial. Not at and, all. And um, very, very much uh, looking forward to uh, being on campus and, and working with those four students and hopefully uh, not not solving problems we're not that naive but we will show people that problems can be solved and that's that's the goal and for those of you that aren't familiar with brent's project common ground campus they get a uh, diverse group of college kids together in one place and they basically force them to listen to each other which is an well it's it's amazing like the idea if you look, if you watch the news and you see these college kids just going knee-jerk reaction to everything, to, to have them sit and actually listen to and hear the other side, that's uh, that's quite the accomplishment. And I commend you for even trying to to uh, make that happen anywhere. Well, thanks. Well, you know, one of the points um, that people bring up when I talk to them about the program. Uh, calling an objection almost is they'll they'll say look why why are you bothering it's so hopeless look what's going on on college campuses uh, I've heard a lot of that this month because of what's happening on college campuses with regard to what's going on in the Middle East and they say what's the point you know you can't reach enough students you can't make enough change and my somewhat rhetorical response to that has become you're missing the point I don't have to reach. 330 million people there was only one napoleon there was only one winston churchill uh it doesn't take overwhelming numbers to create change it takes small focus numbers strong individual leaders so we never know uh with the students that you know whether they're on the panel or in the audience or watching the videos afterwards we never know who will touch and what kind of impact we'll have so we're not looking for 330 million people. We're looking for a handful that might want to try to change the world. Right. And that's, that's the same same arena as when, when somebody says to me, well, my vote doesn't matter. I'm just one vote. Well, you're one vote if you don't talk. Talk to your friends. Talk to your neighbors. Talk to somebody else. You're not one vote anymore. Now you're as many people as you influence. Um over in the YouTube chat rooms, <laughs> free speech on college campuses. What is that, huh? Yeah, we don't we don't see a whole lot of that anymore. Well, it's it's as bad as people think, and then and then it isn't. So here's what we learn everywhere we go, and that is that if you take students out of uh, setting where they get to uh, 
just sort of uh, openly argue with one another. And if you take them away from a social media platform for an hour and you sit them in front of one another, and, you know, I always like to say that these screens we use are, are only two-dimensional. They lack depth, right? They have height and width. Well, that's more than uh, just a literal problem. It's a metaphorical one because they lack depth in terms of the engagement. And so what we do is we put people in front of each other in three dimensions and we bring depth to the engagement. And when we do that, all we've been is successful. And uh, the students in the audience that see these events are blown away by them. The reaction we get is quite extraordinary. And uh, so we're going to keep doing it as long as we can and hope to have success wherever we go. Well, I, I think you, I, that particular project, I think that's great work. I, I really do. Um, and you're right that actions of today are, are proving that it, that the college campuses is definitely something that we need to focus on. And they are, you know, tomorrow's leaders, those, that's, that's where all of this craziness of today started is well, in, you're, uh, you're- in academia. I can inter- interject. Uh, I don't know if Brent has shared this with your audience before, but it really, the the origin of Common Ground Campus came out of an article Brent wrote several years ago about how to talk, how to, talk to each other instead of talking past each other. And he probably, being the modest man that he is, hasn't talked about that enough, but it really was out of this, we've lost the art of being able to have civil discourse um, not just on college campuses, but everywhere in society. And so maybe we can hope that if we start on college campuses, it will carry through with them into adulthood. And the current state amongst adults where we can't even talk to each other will change and be improved. So I had a college, my daughter, she's out now, but she went to a very liberal uh, college and very uh, intense politically as I am on the right, she was with her issues. And we would agree to share something of the other's point of view and have to digest it and then talk about it uh, with each other, why we saw it from our point of view and to, to find out what we were putting into our own kind of our input in terms of information. So I think this is really great with starting on the campuses because as I understand it, they can't. It's not a debate. It's that they have to come up with some solutions together. I, I've seen it, what what he's done. I've, I've watched a video or two. It, it's it's really interesting stuff. I greatly appreciate it, and I agree. Um, again, over in the YouTube chat room, it seems like people no longer have the basic community. I'm sorry, basic communication skills, and and that is definitely true. And then back over to the phone lines, we have Andy in Texas on line one. Welcome to the show, Andy. Well, hey, thank you, my friend. Hey, uh, I appreciate your guests. Uh, you know, the one thing that really bothers me is that we, we, we have a tendency, we, we can discuss this as much as we want to, but we're not doing right. anything about it. Oh, hold on, hold on, Andy. You, hold on. You, you get a pretty bad phone connection. You're breaking up a whole bunch, and I really can't understand what you're saying. So... Now you're still breaking up. It's it, it sounds like a bad, bad cell signal, and I don't know if you're on a cell phone or not, but it's it, it's pretty garbled. Well, let me call that in. 
right. Why don't Give it you, another uh, try. Yeah. Sometimes that works. Better signal and call, call back. I'm sure Mike will patch you right through. Thanks, Andy. Well, Tamara, this interest. I'm, talk about another article that Brent did. One of the one of the first things I ever, I saw that Brent did was was his article talking about team left and team right and how the political divide has uh, know how how it came to be and how you know we we pick our team based on you know our personal beliefs or values usually around one significant issue maybe one or you know maybe a handful of issues and then my team says agrees with me on these things and therefore i agree with everything else or i pretend to agree i go along with what they even if it's something i've never even thought about i just kind of go along with it well, I can I can tell you, and then Brent can talk about his his <laughs> content way better than I can. But I have had the honor of knowing Brent for a long time when all of these articles first sort of came to light and came out of him. And I'm like, more people need to know about what this stuff is. And um, I I'm not sure if you're on the How America Broke Its Wings, which I think is going to be yeah. revived. He's bringing the bird yeah. back to life. That is that is the, um, the piece I was talking about yeah. in particular. Now, yeah. Brent and I, I, I have my own version of the left-right paradigm, and it's it's a little different. And I, I I've shown Brent, and we've talked about it. I don't think I've ever, I don't think you've ever seen it. So I, don't, I have not. My, I'm kind of new to this. Here. Is my version, and on the far left of my version is totalitarian government, where everything is controlled by government. And on the far right of my version is no government whatsoever, so anarchy. Yeah, right. And so, so going left from left to right, you've got you know totalitarianism and communism and socialism and you know socially democrat, and then the kind of sort of centrist and then the classic liberal type person, then libertarian and then anarchy. So this is my version of the left-right paradigm, and my belief is that a constitutional republic a government that is you know bound by rules and laws and all of those kinds of things it, it falls a little right of center but not all the way on the extreme right now in today's world if you say that you're a constitutional originalist like i like i feel i am mm-hmm. i'm immediately labeled as far right but by this version of the paradigm I'm uh, you know, a little right of center. Well, I, I will say a couple of comments, and then I'll let Brent get a word in edgewise because he accuses me of never letting him do that. But I like how you have totalitarianism at the top of the cliff because it's like, right, oh, what's next after right. that? You're over yeah. the cliff. So good placement there. Um, one of the best things I learned uh, from Brent early on when he was uh, teasing all this stuff out there was the... Uh, spectrum from the the right left and he had the same markers uh i think except he had total freedom on one end right mm-hmm. our true constitutional freedom and then the tyranny on the others and then mm-hmm. and this is very important because it has been an invaluable lesson that i think should be asked all the time when anybody whether it's at the local level on up to our u.s congress when we go to enact a law, and I'll bring can correct it, correct me if I get tongue tied on this. Um, 
the question should be, how much freedom are we willing to give up so that government can intervene to solve this problem? And so it moves us one way or the other. And if it moves us too far away from where we're comfortable with giving up our freedoms, then it ought not be a law. And so then we have to come back to some other solution. But I'd, I thought that was brilliant. Probably almost 10 years ago, did you write that? When did you write that? That's a- it was, uh, well, so Tamara is not doing herself enough credit. She, she was along with me well before it was ever published in 2015. She's right. I am about to update it along with the piece I wrote afterwards on individual communication and why we're divided individually, what's breaking. So I've got what breaks down societally and then what breaks down individually. Um, but she helped me develop these ideas. And, uh, you know, the, the question she brings up is the right one. It goes to the heart of our Common Ground Campus program. So I just spend time talking to our students, I mentioned, who are going to participate. And I said to each one of them, as they get ready to bring up a specific problem that they see that relates to diversity and equity and inclusion on campus. When they get ready to bring up that problem, I want them to have in mind what their ideal solution is. And then when they hear, when they get a chance to throw out what they would do about the problem, then I said, be prepared then for somebody to say, okay, I, I get that. I understand it. But that could create another problem. And then you need to listen to them and you need to hear what their concern is. This is the way it works in a business setting. So in a business setting, you've got a a troubling issue, a bad situation in the company. And you're in a room with people and somebody says, look, we can solve the problem this way. And they've got a definitive, clear idea. And then somebody will say, you know what, we could do that. But if we do, we're going to wind up hurting our two major vendors And then what happens? You say, oh, all right. So what could we do then about that? Still trying to stay with the structure of your original idea to solve the problem, but then incorporating what you just heard from somebody else as an objection. And so this is what we've lost our ability to do uh, as a nation. Our idea of compromise now or problem solving is a better word than compromise. Our idea of problem solving now is to spend more money on other programs to make somebody happy. So a bill gets stalemated and you say, well, we can't do that. And you say, well, what about if I give you money for something you like? And Mm -hmm. this is not problem solving. This is sort of a a form of, I don't know what it is. It's just a grotesque way of spending other people's money and trying to placate others long enough to get what you want. That's not problem solving. And it is true. It's true that every time a law is passed, every time a law is passed, by definition, we lose individual freedom. That doesn't mean that we don't want to lose individual freedom. It's probably a good thing that we don't allow ourselves to murder others wantonly, uh, although someone make the argument to the contrary. But uh, when we say we can't murder somebody, we give up our freedom to murder them, of course. So the question always has to be asked to address the concern we've got how much individual liberty do we want to sacrifice in order to solve that problem? How far are we willing to go? And be prepared to understand that if you constantly are sacrificing lots of liberty to solve problems, soon there's nothing left to, to be able to sacrifice. It's gone. 
Yeah, and, and to yeah, be quite honest, the bigger government gets, any government, whether it's your local government or the federal government, or regardless of the form of government, the bigger government gets, the less problem-solving they do. And they get into more problem-creating, if you want to ask me. Uh, over in the video chat rooms, we got Paul again. There's no such thing as left or right. That there is divisive. Mainstream media plays that uh, plays that ploy for decades. As far as I'm concerned, there's only right and wrong. Interesting take. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, we got Curtis, who says, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Run! Right. <laughs> well, on the phone you know, line, the, Andy is back. So let's see if he's got a better connection. Andy is on line one. Well, hey, can y'all hear me this time? Much better, Andy. Yes. Oh, I sure appreciate that. You know, let's think about this. Every time they add a law to the books and stuff, they never take one off. So we got like 2.5 million laws that are just throughout our entire nation. And and we're supposed to uh, uh, know every one of them because ignorance mm -hmm. of the law is no excuse. And, and, and here we are. You and I were just born on this planet. And and everything that was set up now and has progressed and whatnot, we were born into that. And you don't feel right about it, nor do I, nor do your guests. Nobody here feels right about what's going on in this world and stuff. But on the same token, when you when you when you have a government that that they're very quick to go to war, and what they want to do is they want to send your children to war. They want to send your children to war because they're not going to send theirs. They'll find a way to hide their kids from the war and stuff. These people are warmongers, and they, they all they want is war, and they want you and me to go fight it for them. And they want us to pay for it. Right. Well, yeah. let's let's unpack that a little bit. So there's a couple different points you bring up. Uh, let Let's talk about the one of so many laws. And because this is this is what I call the the children's art project problem. So anybody who's had kids can imagine their child, their five year old, sitting at the kitchen table, maybe uh, with some crayons and a blank piece of paper, and they're drawing a picture. And you leave the kitchen, and you come back in a little bit, and you look, and gosh, they've drawn kind of a good picture. You didn't know your kid could draw that well. And it's got a house and mom and dad holding hands and the sun and a tree, maybe. And uh, you say, wow, that's pretty good. I'm really impressed. It's a wonderful picture. And uh, then you leave the room again and you come back and it's the same picture. But now all of a sudden there's an airplane underneath the house. There's a mouse inside a window. There's something that looks like maybe it was a cloud, but it doesn't really look quite right. And you look at that picture and you say, wow, you know, the picture was pretty good before. And they say, well, I'm not done yet. And then when you come back the next time, all of a sudden it's something macabre and you can't even understand what they're drawing. This is the problem we have as civilized societies. We can't stop making laws. We can't. Uh, and I use the word can't uh, deliberately. I do not believe it's a controllable problem. I think that once you start the process of legislating, then you get into the trap of thinking every time you see a problem, 
well, if it's a problem, we should solve it, right? And how can we solve it? Well, we'll solve it uh, not by an agreeing, not by agreeing to do better. We'll agree to solve it by passing another law. And pretty soon it looks like that five-year-old's art project. And that's what we've done to our legal structure uh, here in this country. Well, I, I personally, you know, being the constitutional originalist person, I go back to the, there's roughly, looking at only federal law, Andy mentioned you know, in toto, so including state and local laws and all that, but only federal law, there's, give or take, about 30,000 federal laws on the books. But there are, are over 300,000 federal regulations. Now, what's the difference between a law and a regulation? Well, if you look them up in a dictionary and you read it with a common sense perspective, what you find out is really the only difference between a regulation and a law is if there's a punishment attached for noncompliance. So a regulation that has a punishment, it's a law. So now we have have administrative law. Well, that's unconstitutional. Article 1 clearly begins with the words all legislative power shall be vested in a Congress. Nowhere does it say that Congress can delegate that authority and it certainly doesn't say that it can delegate that authority to an entire different branch of government. They can't take a legislative power and give it to an executive branch agency. That is completely unconstitutional it goes against everything that has anything to do with separation of powers well it's uh, i'll do this first uh, uh the problem with that is of course that the courts have said that it is constitutional now right. the supreme court is taking back up what's called the chevron deference uh rule for your audiences um benefit the chevron deference uh uh what can we call it uh sort of a um, I, my brain just went completely blank this is an old age thing uh it is an accepted rule that's being followed that's not what i want to say um but it, it it's something established by the courts that basically said thank you thank you goodness gracious this old age thing is terrible I hope I put myself, uh, my ham in the oven later and not myself. Look, uh, it is a, a ruling that basically said that it was okay for Congress to delegate its lawmaking authority uh, to bureaucracy, in very right. simple terms. That's been being chipped away at over time. It was chipped away at with the uh, EPA ruling last year, uh, when, uh, but it was a very narrow ruling when the EPA was said to have gone too far in some of its uh, energy regulations, uh, it's coming back around again. And it would be nice if uh, we could get the Supreme Court to ultimately agree with what you just said and what, what I certainly believe our founding fathers would say if they were around. Here's, here's my problem with how you started that. And that's, you know, the Supreme Court says this. Well, if you go by the Supreme Court rulings, um, you know, Brown versus Board of Education really didn't overturn 
Plessy versus Ferguson. Technically, uh, segregation based on race, separate but equal, is still accepted legal precedence. Brown versus Board of Education only applied to education. Same thing with um, oh, one of my favorite ones, the, the freaking the farmer that grew too much wheat. Um, nineteen forty-two, uh, Willard v. Thilmer, Thilburn. Supreme Court cases, court cases in general, any court case is only binding to the two parties involved in that case. We have got to stop thinking that if the Supreme Court says something about this particular case, that it applies to everything in our country. That is part of the thinking of the American people and the thinking of the idiots in the black robes sitting behind the bench. That is not how it's supposed to work. And then going back to the Constitution, the Constitution, Constitution wasn't written for the Supreme Court. It was written for we the people. It was written in plain language so that you and I could understand it. So that you and I could tell the Supreme Court to go down sand when they get it wrong. What? Well, it's break time. It's the top of the hour. Brent Hamachek and Tamara Lee with us tonight. We're going to stick around for at least one more segment. We'll be back in three minutes. Sarah in Oregon, hang on the phones. And I'll be back in two. Attention, freedom-loving patriots. Are you ready to dive deep into the principles that founded our great nation? Join me, Peter Serafine, and the Institute on the Constitution as we light the way to a brighter future with the Liberty Lighthouse Classroom. At liberty-lighthouse.com slash classroom, you'll find a treasure trove of online courses on the U.S. Constitution, carefully crafted to empower you with knowledge to defend your rights and liberty, whether you're a student, a history enthusiast, or just a concerned citizen. These courses are for you. Gain a comprehensive understanding of our Constitution's principles, the wisdom of our founding fathers, and how to apply them in today's world. As a special offer to our freedom-loving listeners of Republic Broadcasting Network, use coupon code RBN at checkout and get 20% discount on any course. Join the Liberty Lighthouse Classroom and be a part of the movement to uphold the values that have made our nation exceptional. Unleash the power of knowledge and protect what truly matters, our Constitution. Visit liberty-lighthouse.com slash classroom today. Don't miss this incredible opportunity. Use code RBN for 20% off. Together, we'll be the beacon of freedom our founding generation envisioned. Liberty Lighthouse Classroom. Illuminating minds, empowering patriots. The American dream 
become a nightmare Signs of the time are on cardboard on corners in town Like a cancer that's silently spreading There's an unspoken fear We're on our way down We must take America back Main Street right. Patriots and Freedom, Freedom Fighters, we must take America back. And welcome back to the top of the second hour of National Intel Report, live on Republic Broadcasting Network, Liberty Lighthouse on Mojo 5.0 Radio, and Patriot Nation Radio Network. With me tonight, I've got Tamara Lee and Brent Hamachek from uh, Trend on Politics. But during the break, I mentioned that I have gone two whole segments and have not told you about any of my sponsors. So I'm going to start with my favorite sponsor, and that is Right to Bear Insurance. If you own a firearm, you really need to have carry insurance because if you have to use your firearm, you're probably going to end up in jail or get sued or both. And Right to Bear Insurance is there to make sure that that doesn't ruin you. We're talking... Real attorneys answering phones 24 hours a day if you have to use a weapon. It doesn't even have to be a firearm. If you legally defend yourself using a weapon of any kind and end up in legal trouble or civil trouble, lawyers on the phone 24 hours a day. And uh, Right to Bear Insurance has been rated as the most affordable carry insurance on the market by Pew Pew Tactical. And I was a member a user, a consumer of Right to Bear Insurance long before they became sponsors of the show. So please go to protectwithbear.com and use code LIGHTHOUSE to save 10% off their already insanely low prices, starting at just $11 a month, and I'll save you 10% off of that with code LIGHTHOUSE at protectwithbear.com. All right. Uh Tamara and Brent and I, during the commercial break, we were talking about precedence. I have a problem with the entire precedence system. I think it's terrible that a judge today is looking back at what a judge thought 50 years ago, and that judge was basing his thing on a judge you know, 50 years before that, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Tamara had a brilliant analogy, and I said, you should have saved that while we were on, to, for when we were on air. So go ahead. Explain your brilliant analogy, Tamara. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is the occupational hazard of having married an architect. Um, so when it's young, the um, the need for, for a standard and measurement. So our constitution is supposed to be our standard by which we gauge whether it's legislation or judicial rulings on the standard is the constitution and our bill of rights and the declaration of independence. So those are our, how we measure all things else from there. And uh, if you don't do that, which our judicial system uh, does not ask that same question of, is this constitutional? Instead, they have changed the standard to be case law. And case law is built, um, for those who maybe are unfamiliar with the legal system, so a court ruling, it's why they cite all these cases whenever they're making a ruling as well. You know, you gave one Plessy versus Ferguson, I think was your example of how those rulings then become what they call the case law and the standard for 
rulings thereafter. Well, it's like you're building a building, and if you're off at one corner, a quarter of an inch, by the time you extrapolate that quarter of an inch mistake, it becomes 10 feet or whatever, you know, by the other end of the building. You're not going to have exact measurement because you deviated from the standard. And so that is the same thing that happens with this case law that we uh, allow the courts to go by that they're ruling. And instead of the Constitution being the standard, they they go one after the other. And then that gets us farther and farther away from the Constitution, much like you're, you know, from anarchy, freedom to tyranny. You're moving away from from freedom and the Constitution. So there's my somewhat brilliant Maybe and, and, and to use the case law example, let's look at the interstate commerce clause. Now, again, the Constitution was written for you and I. We understand what interstate commerce is, right? It's when you sell a product across a state line. That's interstate commerce. Well, the the uh, the court cases I've, I've mentioned, uh, the Willard v. Filmer, Filburn, um, the court decided that because Filburn had grown too much wheat, he wasn't participating in interstate commerce. And that, therefore, was affecting interstate commerce, and that, therefore, they could regulate. Wait, wait. So by not participating, they still regulate. Well, and then it goes even even further. There's a, shoot, I can't remember the name of it right now, but there's a barbecue case, a barbecue restaurant, gets regulated by the federal government again claiming interstate commerce well the barbecue restaurants like i i don't do anything across state lines if if i get an out-of-towner it's completely by accident i don't advertise across state lines i do everything here locally i don't know what you're talking about and they said well you know some of your produce that you bought crosses state lines your equipment that you bought in your restaurant crosses state line so because you bought equipment that crossed a state line we can regulate your business your barbecue restaurant can be regulated because you bought a deep fryer from another state see they've taken something that's plainly cut and dry black and white to anybody with common sense and they've expanded and expanded and expanded but before you re- reply to that, we got Sarah in Oregon on line three. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hi. Hi, this is Sarah Nichols with a challenge to the RBN audience. You, people, there is a, a conservative influencer by the name of Matt Couch that needs help getting a leg and his medical bills paid because he's had health issues from all the stress. And it's and you can go to givesendgo.com slash Matt Couch. And also, the second the second call to action, share, share the show out. Have, and also, be kind. And be excellent to each other. Bye! Be excellent. I think Sarah's a regular caller. I remember that call from last month, I think. Sarah uh, is the biggest cheerleader I have. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess we, yeah. So, so, so he needs your help. 
And yeah, yes, Matt Couch right. does need your help. Matt Couch needs a leg. And yeah. uh, he, uh, I saw Not him. Not a leg up, but an actual leg. Yeah, right. like, a, like so an actual leg. I saw him say it would be nice to walk again on Twitter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or he is one yeah. of the originals back in, gosh, uh, like 2015, 2016, when sort of us early podcasters and uh, tweeters for Trump were all kind of getting together and organizing, which I have a whole nother, that's a whole nother conversation we could have on what we did, where we are now. Question from Paul over in the YouTube chat room. He said he's not familiar with the case. Was he a commercial farmer? Um, (laughs) The, uh, it was Willard V. Filburn. I'm pretty sure it was 1942. I might be off a year or two there. Um, and Philburn was a farmer who chose to grow more wheat than the Agricultural Adjustment Act of 1939 allowed. But he grew more. He did not sell it. He did not put it on the market. He used it. He, he kept it for his own personal use. It was to, to seed his crop next year and for his own family's use and to feed his animals. Now, there is an accusation that he may have been selling it on the black market, but that does not appear anywhere in the court case. So basically what the court decided was because he, because he kept grain in his own personal silos to feed his animals. He was, he was affecting interstate commerce because he should have grown what he was allowed and then bought the rest. That was, that was the, uh, well, that was the, the ruling. And that, that, again, another case that has never been overturned. And how much different is it from that case to the government coming to you and I and saying, you're not allowed to have a garden because if you grow your own lettuce and peppers and tomatoes in your own garden, then you're not going to the grocery store and buying the, the industrial farming stuff that we want you to buy. It's not that it's not even a hop, skip and a jump between those two ideas. Well, I think if our founding fathers came back today, uh, there's certainly a few things that uh, they might take a look at in terms of what we've done, and um, they might want to do a few things over. Uh, No question that uh, the Interstate Commerce Clause has not been used the way they envisioned it. That's clear. Uh, And and by the way, it's not going to get reversed right so it's that's not going to happen you could see things chip away at it perhaps just like you saw a ruling chip away at the at the regulatory authority to write laws with mm-hmm. with that uh, epa case last year but as a matter of course the interstate commerce clause is with us and uh, it's with us in its interpretation i think the other thing the founding fathers would take a look at if they were back is um the problem between the supremacy clause and the 10th amendment where we leave all other rights to the states other than those enumerated but we say that where the law is in conflict the federal law uh, takes precedent and that has been of course an ongoing problem for a couple of hundred years yeah and it's not it's not going away either and that's you can fairly call it in what is uh without argument, I think the most brilliant uh, document ever created. I mean, for people to who didn't even agree on everything, they didn't. They fought like crazy, by the way. They, they found common ground, and they built a nation 
out of the best ideas from the Enlightenment south to Plato, right? And uh, but they probably made a mistake. Uh, they, you know, the Bill of Rights was a was an afterthought. I think there were originally seventeen proposed. I think twelve were voted on and ten were approved. I, if my math is off there somewhere, I'm I'm close. Uh, but that that Tenth Amendment coupled along with the Supremacy Clause. Uh, that wasn't well done, and uh, they should have thought it through a little bit more. And I, that's I, not being critical. It's honestly, just, I think it's perfectly well done. We just don't read it right anymore. The Supremacy Clause says laws passed in accordance with the Constitution are supreme. So this is where you and I and your county sheriff and your local people need to say, um, hey, wait a minute. Interstate commerce only applies to things crossing state lines. You can take your little EPA or FDA or whoever you are and get the heck out of my town because nothing here crossed the state line. It's, they are not in as much conflict as as most people think they are. Well, it's a problem, isn't it, with, with the idea of something not being in conflict. We all... We all look at the, you know, the common, the common thought, to which I don't adhere, is that the, the Bible is the inerrant, inspired word of God. So let's pretend for a minute that it is. Well, then that's pretty clear. God wrote it. Why then do people who believe in reading it and finding the answers only in what is written seem to disagree on what it says? Mm-hmm. So um, we are, as humans, uh, innately imperfect and uh, so uh, we don't necessarily do a good job of two people reading the same thing and coming to the same conclusion. And I would, I would simply argue that, I, and I'm not, I'm not really arguing with your point. I get it. But in the spirit of clarity, I'm just saying they could have perhaps done better because certainly the two have been sort of at odds with one another in terms of behavior of the federal government versus the states ever since. So, um, again, I'm, I'm not being critical of them. They created the greatest document in history, so it's hard to be too critical. But I do think if they came back now and watched the way we've eaten our way through it, they might say uh, maybe, we should, maybe we should have strengthened a few things and changed a few things. You know, so if I could well, ask you. I wanted to ask you, you, since you are, you know, two of the smartest guys on the Constitution and how things work, what, if we have too many laws, if we have too much uh, rulings based on case law, how do we, and and Brent said, there won't be more, we've we've unleashed sort of the genie from the bottle, how do you, how do we get back, I mean, do we, tell Congress their next duty, next session, don't make any new laws. You've got to find ones to get rid of. Do we walk it back? What's the solution? If our founders came back and saw America today, what would they say to restore our constitutional republic? I have a couple of ideas on that thought. Um, That's why I asked the question. (laughs) (laughs) First off, I think if the founders came back today, the thing that would impress them most would be grocery stores. Grocery stores? Uh, yeah. I think with all the technology and everything else we have, I think they'd be, they'd be like, eh, cool. But look at this. I think the idea that they could just walk into a store and buy everything they need 
would be the most impressive thing to them. But I, I could be wrong. Before I tell you, before I share my ideas and how I think we might be able to take our government back and get them to shrink things down the way they're supposed to be, um, go to liberty-lighthouse.com, and there's a right there on the homepage, big blue button says "Win a book." Click that button, fill out that little form, and uh, I'm giving away copies. <laughs> giving away copies of my three books, the most recent which is A More Tyrannical King, How the Federal Government Became More Oppressive Than King George. Uh, Liberty-Lighthouse.com, click the Win a Book button. All right, my ideas. I have two that you can uh, actually learn a lot more about on my website. One is juries. People today do not understand the power of a jury and the judge isn't going to tell you about it. Lawyers aren't going to tell you about it. And if you express the fact that you know that you have this power, when you walk into the jury selection process, the voir dire, you will be eliminated. Juries in our founding father's era were to judge the facts and the law. And if the law is unjust, unconstitutional, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then you, you vote to acquit. So some people call this um, oh jury nullification. I call it jury independence. A jury is, in, is, is the final independent arbitrator of all law. And if all it takes is one person on every jury in the country that understands that, and when an unjust law, when somebody is cry or tried for an unjust law, acquit them, or at least hang the jury every time. So that's one. That that basically makes it. If a, if that happens enough times, the government will stop trying to enforce that law. So, for example, the EPA case that Brent mentioned earlier, the. Over and over and over again, people were given these giant fines for not regulating the water supplies on their land and blah, 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 blah. Originally, the federal government had jurisdiction over navigable water. And then it became tributaries of navigable waterways. And the one that finally got thrown out was when it was a marshland that was sort of kind of adjacent to a tributary to a navigable waterway. And that's when the Supreme Court said, eh, you're going a little too far. But if every time a case goes to a court where somebody is getting, you know, because they didn't treat their stream appropriately, well, if it's not a navigable waterway, the federal government has no jurisdiction, case dismissed. So that's one, is juries. Number two is your county sheriff. Your county sheriff, in my personal opinion, is the most important elected job in our country. Your county sheriff, according to Prince Mac V. U.S. in 1994, your county sheriff is the chief law enforcement officer of your county, which means your chief law enforcement officer can kick out other law enforcement officers. If the, if the EPA, the IRS, the NSA, anybody comes into his county trying to do something that is unconstitutional in his view, he can say, get out of my county, 
and don't come back or I'll arrest you for trespassing. So you need to know who your, who your sheriff is and you need to vote in a sheriff that understands that the primary role of government is to protect your rights. Right. And it, it's not that those aren't uh, valid points or good ideas. They are. The, the problem is that the problem's bigger. The, so what we have to look at is let, let's take the notion of the sheriffs. The strong sheriff who's willing to make those strong stands in today's America. And there was a movement recently, it's probably still going on, about having sheriffs go around and arrest people like Anthony Fauci and others responsible for the whole China flu thing. Right. So wonderful notion. Great movie moment, I suppose. Here's a problem. Who's going to prosecute them? Because sheriffs might be able to arrest people and take action, but they can't prosecute anybody. So you have to have a prosecutorial system willing to actually follow through. Uh, What happens to that sheriff, by the way, when he perhaps detains somebody, drives them to the county line and kicks them out? Well, of course, the next day they'll be sued. They'll have a suit brought against them, and so will the county for what they've done. And now we're back to the jury of your peers who would ultimately sit and listen to that case. By the way, I guarantee you uh, there'd be an attorney willing to take up that lawsuit, probably on contingency. The problem is us. There's no way to fix a problem that doesn't fix the problem of us. This is what we have done, what we are doing. And to reform, to try to reform within a system that has a nation filled with people either going along with with what's taken place um, enthusiastically or passively and ignorantly makes it really, really difficult. And and that is why the, the only thing that can be effective is playing a very, very long game. You know, people will ask uh, routinely, you know, why we're, you know, if I look so darkly at the situation in the country or with as bad as the country is, we'll say, so why do you do this college program? You know, why do you even bother? And I, I'll say, look, let's imagine you're the pilot on a plane with 400 passengers. And all of a sudden you realize you're not going to make it to the landing strip. You get a problem. You have two choices. You can either nosedive that airplane directly into the ground and certainly kill everybody on board, or you can look for the best possible place to try to land, give it a go, and see how many survivors you can keep. So when we focus our attention, people like the three of us, when we focus our attention on young people, we're, do, we're playing the long game. We're saying the plane isn't going to be able to land properly, and this American plane isn't. So in our lifetimes, knowing that we're all proximate in age, we're not going to see this thing turn around. It is not going to happen. But children, grandchildren's lifetime, maybe uh, if we invest the time in them now, uh, perhaps when this thing crashes, there will be enough survivors that they might be able to, to rebuild it. Well, we're coming right up to break. And I want to say those two things, the sheriff and the jury, I have classes that are uh, – 
based on institution of the Con- Institute on the Constitution lecture. I have classes at liberty-lighthouse.com slash classroom where you can go and take these classes and learn about these concepts and how to use them. And if you happen to be the county sheriff or even running for county sheriff, contact me and I'll, I'll let you take that course for free. Other than that, they're a few bucks. Highly um, recommended. Yeah, they're great courses. Oh, somebody else teaches them. I just kind of MC for things. Uh, it is break time, three minute commercial break. And uh, you two are welcome to stay, or if you have to run, you can. We only booked an hour. But you <laughs> I have to run. Tamara, Tamara will always stay. She does better without me anyway. No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah, it was very fun. It the night before Christmas. The kids snuggled asleep in their beds when you heard a loud rumble like Santa and his sled. So you went downstairs to take a peek, get a look. You were confronted by this creep, a crook. He drew his weapon, but you fired first. And now this creep could take all your worth. Secure your family with right to bear insurance. Plans start at $10.95 a month with civil and criminal defense coverage options up to $2 million. Visit liberty-lighthouse.com slash right to bear to learn more or sign up and start protecting what you have now. Welcome back. I'm Peter Serafini. This is- yeah, I started early. That was the end of a commercial, and I just started talking over it like it was, you know. It's your show person. anyway. It's not like it's a live show or anything like that. I can't just edit. Oh, oh wait. It is. Oh, wait. Anyway. Yes. Brett Hamachek had to leave us, but Tamara Lee was kind enough to stick around. We're having such a great discussion. I um, I didn't want to leave the listeners with just me. That's that's just no fun. <laughs> I, yes. Over the break, he said, please don't leave me with my listeners. Uh, Paul Young said he used to have Sheriff Mac's book. Met him at an event years ago. Sheriff Mac and Sheriff He's Prince. Two, sheriff, mm-hmm. two sheriffs who stood up against the federal government and said, wait a minute, you can't make me run background checks for you, federal government. Now, that's funny thing is I think there were about five sheriffs in total who actually stood up. Mac and Prince were two of them, and their cases were combined at the Supreme Court, which happens a lot. But that's five out of, like, 3,000 sheriffs in our country. Sheriff Mac is doing a great job with really trying to educate amongst his own community of what their constitutional role is in our republic. He's terrific. And uh, Matthew Tuella is the uh, pastor in Wisconsin who wrote the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate based on work of Lutheran and others. You know, it wasn't a new concept, but he certainly applied it in our modern context relative to the pro-life issue. And then that has been the sort of premise to operate at uh, for our sheriffs to take that and say, no, that's an unconstitutional law, like you said, and I'm not going to enforce it. J6ers tried to use that in their defense, too. Of course, it's not about the law or the Constitution in in the J6 prosecutions. It's about, you know, their agenda. So, therefore, 
no one's and, and that's the problem systematically our law enforcement our courts they're all playing together they they are not adhering to the constitution because it's us versus them and well, so, it's not even you can't even say it's all law enforcement it's it's even your local government your your town council of course although um i i actually went to my local uh, town meeting this past week because there was a development that the neighbors were opposing and everybody showed up. It was really a nice little uh, exercise in our exercising our rights. And we went there and the interesting thing, which I think also goes all the way up to, you know, U.S. Congress or any elected official, they will do the what uh, the will of the people, not because it's necessarily their own conviction or the right thing to do, but because they're compelled to do something or to mm-hmm. act a certain way because of the, the voices of the people. So it's very important that we do speak up and we do inform. I mean, the Speaker of the House, same thing. That was because people called their their representatives and said, we don't want this. McCarthy's got to go. And there you have, you know, they didn't do it because they wanted to. They did it because they were being held accountable by an open vote on the House floor. Yeah. Well, let's let's go to your, your local level. Let's look at your, your local town council. Here's, here's the problem that we have is the entire power structure and money flow in our country mm-hmm. has been reversed, where now all of our money goes to the federal government first and then comes back down to the state and local governments. Your town, your county, your state, on average, their budget is 30% federal grants, federal money. Correct. So so let's look at this for a second and say, if I'm on my local town council, city council, borough council, whatever, and there's a grant available, Let's say there's a you know ten thousand dollar grant available to do X. Mm-hmm. Well, let's pretend for a minute it's a matching grant. Where if we put up ten grand, they'll put up ten grand, they being the federal government, to do X. How many of these local town councils and boroughs look at the long term and say, okay, we can get this ten thousand dollars worth of, of of money from the federal government? free money but it's going to cost us fifteen thousand dollars over the course of the first two years right that's yeah notoriously they'll they'll enforce their federal policy by the money and then once it's in then they pull pull the money right and of course all federal money has strings right right it's not free money it's conditional money Mm mm-hmm but we this this goes all this again this all goes back to to to, to education how many of these town council members understand that concept understand that if i take this federal money i'm bound by their rules and oh by the way their rules are going to cost us more money in the long term so maybe maybe we don't need that federal money maybe we could just keep doing what we're doing or invest a smaller amount of money and fix what it is, whatever the problem is. 
Yeah, I don't think they'll do that, right? Hard to oh, turn no. down. Oh, it's it's hard to turn down. Free money. Yeah. Over in the chat room, we got Debbie Treadway that says she needs to befriend our local sheriff. And absolutely right. You need to befriend your local sheriff. You need to make sure that your local sheriff understands the Constitution. And the first thing I ask anybody that's asking me for my vote is what is the purpose of government? And as far as I'm concerned, the only acceptable answer to that comes straight from the Declaration of Independence to secure our rights. Any other answer is a disqualifier if you want my vote. And let's see what else we got. Paul, they will do this for lobbyists. The first step was billions of foreign aid checks. Well, yeah, billions of foreign aids. We don't control our purse strings and all. That is absolutely right. <laughs> then, then he just well, said the purpose yeah. is to control you. That, that, that's <laughs> what I think the government thinks their purpose is. Unfortunately, money is much like laws. They keep making more and more of it, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, they keep making money, which, but let's face it, you know, I, I had a thought not long ago. The idea that we allow our federal government to just randomly print more money is theft on an, and the most insidious level possible. So let's say, Tamara, you've got, we'll use just $100, just to make a round number. You've got $100. And you put it in your safe at home. And then you wait and leave it there. Now, when you open that safe a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, you still have $100, right? Right. But the buying power of that $100 has dwindled over that time frame. Just in the last, well, let's say, you know, just since Mr. Biden took office, in the last three years, that $100 that you put in in your safe on January 20th, 2021, well, that $100 only has the buying power of like $75 or $80 now. That was theft. The federal government robbed you of 25 or 30, 20 or $25 because they printed more money. Not enough people in our country understand that most basic concept right there. And I don't know how to teach that. But to me, that is the worst form of, thre- of theft possible. Because it, it, it's not really taking anything from you. You still have $100. Mm-hmm. But it, now it's worth less. Worth less. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon it'll be worthless. Mm-hmm. It's worth less, and soon will be worthless. Let's see. They stole from me, so my labor is worth less and less. Then, no surprise, then why are people apathetic and homeless? Yeah. It's it's theft that most people don't even understand the entire concept of. I mean, it's Milton Friedman. One of my favorites. Let me see. I might even have it here. Listen, this is one of my favorite Milton Friedman quotes, and it's right on point. 
Yes, sir. In a recent interview of U.S. News and World Report, uh, Secretary of the Treasury Blumenthal uh, blamed our current rising inflation uh, in a large part on our foreign trade and unions. He did, however, say that the government was little to blame. Would you like to comment on that? Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is one of the defects of our political system that we always put a Secretary of the Treasury and other high government officials into a position in which when they make public statements, they are almost driven. Well, what's the word I want to use? I want to use a polite word, equivocate. Secretary Blumenthal knows as well as you and I do that inflation does not come from trade unions. That doesn't mean the trade unions aren't grasping. Of course they are. But they don't produce inflation for one simple reason. They do not own a printing press on which you can turn out green pieces of paper. The only such printing press is in Washington. I say printing press, of course, in the modern age, we do it in a more sophisticated way. We use bookkeepers and accountants and computers. But it comes out of the same thing. Inflation is made in Washington because only Washington can create money. And any other attribution of, to other groups of inflation is wrong. Consumers don't produce it. Producers don't produce it. The trade unions don't produce it. Foreign sheiks don't produce it. Oil imports don't produce it. What produces it is too much government spending and too much government creation of money and nothing else. And nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. A quarter minted before 1965, when they were 90% silver, is worth almost $8 today. Wow. Gonna, just in, just I'm going to go take my couch down. <laughs> How long have you had your couch? <laughs> uh, just in the silver content. So inflation happens only, and I do mean only, because of paper money. Because if we were still using gold and silver coins... The cost of goods would go up, but the value of my, pro- my, my money would go up. The paper crap that we have now is worthless. Our founding fathers knew that. That's why they specifically say in the Constitution they give, they, they give Congress the power to mint money. Mm. Thomas Jefferson said that, that England's printing of paper money was part of their financial trouble. They certainly didn't intend to allow us to do the same thing. All right, so let's see. Debbie, her son loves Milton Friedman. What's not to love about him? Uh, Paul, the blame is that you have a dishonest monetary system. It's not a defect. It's why it was made. That's right. There is no money, only debt. And, he, and then he brings up this. Did Congress delegate that power? No, Congress didn't delegate that power. Congress has the power to re- to coin money and to regulate the value thereof. So who the who's the Federal Reserve and the Treasury deciding when to print more? Unconstitutional. That's Congress's job. Hmm. Thoughts? Well, we'll see. I mean, there's the 
Trump right brought the the Federal Reserve in under the Treasury, so we'll see what happens there. Um, he's definitely talking more economic uh, policy come twenty twenty five, given that he's elected. So we'll see what happens. I mean, something's going to happen one way or the other, right? We're either going to go off the economic cliff or changes are going to be made that bring us back into some solvency. So I guess it just depends where you're looking and what you're following in terms of information to make guesses on which way we're going to go. But I don't think it was inconsequential that Trump brought the Federal Reserve in under the U.S. Treasury. Because as we're seeing, like with the IRS, uh, with the new speaker taking the funds, right, for Israel, said, Mm -hmm. we'll pull them from the IRS, and people are, you know, blowing a gasket. But that's a good place to take it from, right? He's saving us our money. (laughs) Yeah, I would think so. But (laughs) They're trying to rein in the spending. President Biden has already said that he'll veto any aid bill that isn't for both Ukraine and Israel together. Um, Sarah says tacos are always the answer to all problems. <laughs> and over in, Thursday. Over, over on my text line, Rich from Pennsylvania says that he gave his sheriff, Sheriff Max, book. Oh, perfect. And that's awesome. Sheriff Mac has the constitutional sheriff organization or something like that and um uh, we should... yeah uh yep i used to know the acronym because i acronym because i constitutional and peace officers i don't know i think yeah yeah something like that constitutional sheriff peace officers association yeah yeah, the CSPOA. It's a great organization for any of your audience who has not checked uh, that out. It's really a great local action step you can take. I was going to go to a, a Second Amendment meeting tonight at one of our local gun ranges where our county sheriff was speaking about protecting your two-way rights. And uh, I said, oh, shoot, I can't go. I <laughs> I have this little show to do. Well, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I, I can. Well, here, I have a pretty good handle on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Deb asked, "How do we fix any of this?" And you know, in addition to the the two courses that I said that I have to teach you how to do the 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 um, independent jury independence and the, uh, the the constitutional sheriffs, in addition to those two things, it all goes to education. We had the Constitution was written for you and I, so that we would know when our government was going beyond the bounds of the four corners of the Constitution, and we have allowed them to do it for far too long. So we fix it, in my opinion, educating the public and electing people, all the way down to your starting even from your local level who understand the Constitution, who understand the federal system, and understand that 
It's the local government that's in charge, not the federal government. Well, and I, I think you'd agree with me on this. I think that the founders intended, kind of going back to the, the judicial system and court cases, I think the founders intended for us to be able to handle our own affairs in, in the courts, that we could, prose was supposed to be the way all matters were handled, um, that you could represent yourself and you didn't need an attorney. It, you didn't need to pay an exorbitant amount of money uh, to try and buy back your justice. Um, I think the, the case law and the judicial system is set up to keep us from being able to assert our own constitutional rights. I think all the laws go to exasperate us of knowing what our rights are. So the whole system is sort of stacked against us right now. And mm-hmm. until we can walk that back, until we take back control of our own constitutional republic and our rights at the local level, because you have to start small. I think also they they intended, you know, that triangle has been inverted where local government was supposed to be your base, your your closest proximity to your, your rights and freedom then the state, and then the federal. And it was intended to be that, that hierarchy. Now it's inverted, and we are, we are being crushed at the local level under the weight of the federal bureaucracy. You are exactly right. Jefferson, <laughs> Jefferson considered an independent jury a fourth unofficial branch of government. The independent jury is how... Well, we tell the government, no, we're not doing that because that's just unjust. And we've gotten so far away from that. It it used to be that juries were informed of that. They were told that they were to judge both the facts and the law when they were selected for a jury. And then it got well, to be the, the judges got pissy about it and started saying, okay, well, you don't have to inform them. And then it went to the point of, well, now uh, we're not going to inform you of that. And now if you're going through voir dire, which is the jury selection process, if you even hint that you believe in jury independence or jury nullification, you will be removed. You will not be selected for a jury. And the really fun part about the whole jury independence thing is a grand jury. Did you know that a grand jury well, they can investigate whatever the frick they want to investigate, and they can subpoena whoever they want for whatever they want, what, regardless of whatever the DA puts in front of them. Most people don't know that. Most people are told when they've been selected for a grand jury that, well, you're, you're going to be here. The district attorney is going to come in. He's going to present some cases to you, and you're going to decide whether or not we, we should proceed with these cases. They're not told that they can say, you know what? I don't like what my local or my county DA or my local or county treasurer is doing. I want to subpoena their 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 records because I think they might be skimming off the top. Yeah. What we're seeing now in, in D.C. with the J6ers, it's, it's not a jury of their peers. It's, uh, you know, even the whole jury system that was supposed to be that independent branch uh as you referenced 
has become compromised because of the political leverage within a place. So the jurors are not objective in their role, um, in, in part because the other the media was supposed to be the other way that there was checks and balances, right? And then then they all instead of being adversarial, and they were talking about this today in, in Trump's trial in Colorado, that the J6 Select Committee was not, adver- it didn't have the adversarial or balanced component to it. So no, the no. two Republicans that were on it, Cheney and uh, Kissinger, I don't know. That were selected by the Democrats. They selected that, that they were more in alignment with what, you know, Pelosi's objective was. So we know this. We we see it skewed. Um, so I think the what I love about your show and our show and the other independent journalists out there is that we've now had the ability, albeit censored. And this, um, I think, goes back to when 2015, 2016, and we were able to organize. And I was part of the kind of original groups with Tweeters for Trump that we would organize we would use the dm rooms to strategize we would uh trend hashtags when that was sort of the way that you got momentum on on your voices right we had a concentration of force which then led into and i don't know if your audience knows this but um as co-creator with uh pesqua the late great pesquale scopoliti at thy consigliori of the pardon flynn now social media movement that resulted in the first ever pardon of innocence for General Flynn that was granted by President Trump in November of 2020. And the way we were able to do that was by having our independent voices come together. We worked together. And I think we really took them by surprise in 2015 and 2016 that we, there were as many United Americans behind Trump's America first, the the MAGA message um, that they were caught off guard, not only that Trump won, but of our ability to use social media effectively, because it was typically thought the right were not that tech savvy, right? We were kind of old school. We didn't like new technology, all that. So then by 2018, they started censoring more and more, uh, deplatforming people, uh, shadow banning, using the algorithms, all of that. By 2020, they had it down to a science of where our voices had pretty much been silenced. And now I think what we're seeing is we're not as able to leverage the platforms as we did, uh, particularly Twitter, formerly known as X, but um, because they spread us to other platforms, right? So some went here, some went there. Uh, some of the voices uh, that they've allowed to rise to the top now are more heard than others. Um, so we have to overcome that in the 2024, you know, next year leading up to the 24 election uh, because the, the the playing field has changed. It's not a level playing field. We were able to exercise some control over it by organizing together. And it really was a populist movement. And so we have to take that populism and just be more strategic about how we do that. And I think two ways to do that is one, still using our social media platform, but we've got to take it offline and connect with our communities. So going 
to the social, going online, going to independent journalists is a great place to go get your information, the source, your facts, and then be the informed person in your local communities, like knowing about constitutional sheriffs. Then you be that voice out to your neighbors because they are not getting it. Most people are not digging in like your audience or our audiences who want to be informed. They are just going about life. All they know is Biden can't think straight and we're about to go to war and their inflation is hitting them at every every turn. But they just want to be happy, go about their life. So we, it behooves us who do know more to carry that message out into our communities. I'll get off Absolutely. my soapbox now. <laughs> I think the community, the community project, if, if yeah. you want to call it that, I, I think that's really the way to go. And I hadn't really thought about it until you just said it. You're absolutely right about the, the social media thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when Twitter went through and deleted anybody who made any reference to... Uh-oh, looks like Peter froze. <laughs> he did. I was wondering if that was the whole thing or just him. So. <laughs> You're still on the air. Uh, oh. Hmm, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I can, Gosh, I can pick it up like a pro, right? So, um, yeah, so for the audience, it really, we, we have to rethink how we uh, share our information now because the shadow banning, even though Elon Musk has gotten us back on, what most of us and that's what I call it um, I'm still my jury is still out on whether Elon's behind us or not oh maybe hey, there we go. hey he's back yeah apparently I lost internet we're almost out of time <laughs> you didn't hear the, the big thing I was just saying anyway but anyway time's up Tamara Lee thank you very much for staying with me for an hour and a half tonight I greatly appreciate that if you're listening out live on the broadcasting network, stay tuned for Edge of Darkness with Jeffrey Bennett. Thank you to all our guests for joining us tonight. Thanks, Mike, my producer. I could not do the show without you. Thank you most of all, listeners, callers, viewers, for why we do this show. Until next week, at the liberties, but they're gone. There's no getting it back. God bless America. At Romika Designs, we're more than just a laser engraving and specialty design company. Much more. I'm Ron Phillips, co-owner of Romica Designs, and we're honored to work with our affiliates like Liberty Lighthouse to bring you professional laser engraving and customization. Great for one-of-a-kind gifts, home decor, business and specialty items, or personalized and logo designs created just for you or your company. Allow Romica Designs and Liberty Lighthouse to become your go-to gift and specialty project partner. Romica Designs can help make your ideas a reality. We're ready to help you design and create that special gift for any occasion or engrave your personal or business logo on just about any product. All you have to do is simply email us with your ideas. We specialize in custom design and we'd be honored to have the opportunity to discuss it with you. Visit us on the web at RomicaDesigns.com and use promo code LIGHTHOUSE during checkout to support Liberty Lighthouse with Peter Serafine. If you call yourself a conservative, I have a question for you. What are you trying to conserve? The $29 trillion national debt and the continued out-of-control spending? The status quo of a bloated and corrupt federal government? The deterioration of a moral society? 
Become a constitutionalist. Conserve the unalienable rights of we the people and the document that is supposed to restrict our government and protect our rights. Support the Constitution Party, the only nationally recognized political party that stands for the founding principles of the U.S. Constitution. Every point of the Constitution Party platform is tied directly to that founding document which made the United States a great nation. Learn more, join, and support the Constitution Party at ConstitutionParty.com or your state's Constitution Party website. I've been sleeping on a MyPillow pillow for years, and a couple of years ago, I tried the MyPillow towels, soft and absorbent, wonderful bath towels. Recently, I got the My Giza Dream Sheets, and they are by far the best quality bed sheets I've ever owned. Well, the quilt is pretty awesome, too. New products being added all the time at MyPillow.com, including sandals and slides and pajamas and, well, everything that you need for sleeping. Use the code LIGHTHOUSE at MyPillow.com to save yourself up to 66% off. That's the code LIGHTHOUSE at MyPillow.com.